think it's going to be up on your screen there. And since it's a paraphrase, it might be easier to follow along there than in your Bibles. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in, just, in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature, you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my father's commands, and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command, love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. The journey of the girls' group for me begins with my journey trying to understand who God is and what has meant in my life. My journey of faith began as a young child when I had memorized John 3.16. I'm sure you've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I accepted that word. I was just a preschooler, but I believed God loved me. I knew I was a sinner. I understood that God said the payment for sin is death, and that he sent his son to die on the cross, taking the payment for my sin, because he wanted me to have eternal life with him. It is just a simple truth to me. Everyone has a God. It can be yourself or your work or your family. Where do you believe the purpose of life comes from? Where do you believe joy and peace can be found? In my family, we went to church and we read the Bible, and I got the idea that either you accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you, or you don't. That is what John 3.16 says, that he is a loving God, and I knew it was an act of faith to believe that. I think people would have described me as a very compliant child. I wanted to please my parents and my teachers and my friends. I got a lot of positive feedback from not ruffling any feathers, lay low, don't make any conflict, don't cause any trouble. Somehow, along the way, I thought trying to be nice, trying to be hard to be obedient, trying hard to please my parents was an indication that I was a Christ follower. The faith part turned into a really diligent trying part. 
I think I can explain my faith journey with this picture. Can you put up the court picture for me, please? When you play on a team, there is a coach. And as a player, you run over to the coach, and he gives you the game plan, and you study it, and you try to understand it. And then you run back out into the court, and you give it your best shot. And that is what I did. Growing up, I enjoyed Sunday school and youth group and Bible college, and those places were wholesome places where I enjoyed fun activities, good friendships, and solid doctrine. But I would say the coach and player mentality described my faith journey. My competitive personality within made a competition out of being a Christian, and I treated God like a really, really good coach. My faith sounded like, thanks God for the tip about loving my neighbor. Okay, I got that, and I would go out and I would really try, but I knew in my heart that I had failed because his word says, pray for your enemies, and I didn't. And his word says, do good to those who mistreat you, and I didn't. When it got too hard, as it often did, I just kind of left out those parts. They were other commandments, and I knew they were rules to keep me safe and from suffering terrible consequences because he is a good, good father. Commandments are good, important, and necessary, but not like a coach and a player mentality. I had switched around a very fundamental element of being a Christ follower. Instead of realizing how much I needed Christ, my thinking had turned that around to believe he somehow needed me, and that is not what it means to be a Christ follower. That leads you down a strange and dangerous path that I would call religion. If you read any history or are familiar with what is going on now in the world, you know that religion causes a lot of destruction. Religion can leave you with pain and loss and hopelessness. In my religious journey, I coped and I strived to keep up to following the directives I thought the coach was giving me. The coping and the striving led to dutiful obligations, and there is no joy in that, there is no peace in that, and there is no biding in his spirit in that. That takes God off the throne in your life and puts you there. There are some things that I found and still find when I slide into a road of religion and not relationship with God through Christ. Uh, No peace or joy, but rather some self-pity, bitterness, there is a take mentality, and a whole lot of other feelings that wear a person down. Once you're on a religion road, there are two forks in the road that are dangerous, and I would say destructive roads. When you're on a highway of religion, there are the forks that take you either down a road of pride that you think you are doing well, pleasing God, or discouragement because you realize that you just can't. Serving God can then become an obligation and a duty. But that is not really serving God. That is serving religion. So for me, life continued, and a broken marriage got my attention. In my version of faith, which was really more religious than abiding, it was an epitome of failure because I was a girl that wanted to please people and please God, and I just couldn't imagine God being more disappointed in anyone. His words gave me hope, though, because I read Psalm 32:18, and it says, He is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those crushed in spirit. Still, habits of striving and coping die hard, 
and years later, I was driving home from an event in Saskatoon where I met people from my childhood. And as I drove, I was thinking about how they must be so disappointed in me. That girl they thought they could rely on was just now a single mom. And that day, I distinctly remember hearing a voice say that um, you are my precious daughter. And it made me gasp. But I shouldn't have been surprised because that is what his word says in Ephesians 1.4. Before the foundation of the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That is the message of Jesus. That is the gospel. Sheila, a sinner, needed a savior to have a relationship with a holy God. And because of Jesus, I am without fault in his eyes. And there is no need to cope to, of, to strive because of what Jesus did on the cross. The message that I had learned as a very young child in John 3.16 began to make a lot of sense. And instead of saying, thanks, I've got this coach, I had to say, thanks, you've got this Holy Spirit. Instead of saying, you can love me because I'm trying to be so good, I needed to say, thanks for loving me because I am not good. In John, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He continually asks me to abide in that love. When we open our heart to the Lord and we admit we have sinned and need a Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit and we change the direction we are going in our life. We become a child of God, a follower of Jesus. Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. When we open our hearts to Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins, we receive the gift of eternal life, and are given the Holy Spirit that will never leave us and guide us each step of the way until we see Jesus face to face. Often, we may forget this incredible gift that we've been given, the Holy Spirit. And we can go back to doing life like Sheila said, striving on our own. The Holy Spirit gives us power, leads us, teaches us, guides us every step of the way as we journey in this world. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 26 to 27, But when the Father sends the Comforter instead of me, and by the Comforter I mean the Holy Spirit, he will teach you much, as well as remind you of everything I myself have told you. I am leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart, and, peace, and the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. I often don't think, or I often believe we don't acknowledge this amazing presence in our life. I'm going to share a personal story of how the Lord spoke to my heart about the Holy Spirit's presence and power in my life. Can you put up the slide? Oh, it's there. Okay. You might wonder why, but listen. 
A few years ago, I was at my favorite retreat that I go annually to every year, well, annually, to start my new year off. Um, It's called Seek First, a time to refocus and just start the year fresh, focused on Jesus. I was spending quiet time alone in a little cozy prayer cabin. It's truly my most favorite place to spend time alone with the Lord, being refreshed by his presence, prayer, and his word. All that is in this cabin is a comfy chair and a black potbelly wood-burning stove. There's no distractions. I was kind of hoping the slide would have showed more than that, but it's a, just a pine-filled cabin with a one little chair. As I sat back and opened God's word, journaled, prayed, listened, the Lord said, This black stove, when you entered the cabin with a tiny burning flame, is parallel to what a believer looks like when receiving my spirit. But what I want my followers to look like is how the stove looks now after putting the log on, burning bright, effective, to do what I've called you to do. My spirit doing it through you, not forgetting the power I've given you. In that moment, I prayed, Holy Spirit, consume me, lead me, teach me, guide me, and walk as I walk forward, doing life with you shining in and through me and through all believers throughout the earth. I don't want to live my Christian life just knowing I'm saved, but living life, but living and doing life with your spirit, boldly living through me. So how then do we live a life with awareness of the Holy Spirit's power and presence in our life. Abiding. Staying daily connected as we live our Christian lives, not striving, not trying to do the right thing all the time, but letting the Holy Spirit shine and do what he wants to do through us. The picture of the vine is back up. Sheila read John 15, 1 to 9, which has definitely in the last couple years become my most favorite um, passage. This tree right here, or the picture on the screen, is a great reminder of what abiding looks like. The branch, the br- for the branch to bear fruit or to shine like this tree, it has to be connected to the vine. If the branch is even broken slightly, it will affect the fruit and the healthiness of it. When we daily abide, stay close to Jesus, asking the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit in our lives, this is where we will experience God's best. Before the year of teen girls, there was a year of young adult women. What a fun year it was to have Aaron and Claire and Lori come over to my house while Alana was at dance. The girls came straight from work at 6 o'clock, and they ate whatever Evan and I ate. We went through a book entitled, Because He Loves Me, uh, How Christ Transforms Our Daily Lives. I think it was a powerful journey for all of us because all four of us had heard about Jesus from the time when we were very young. So we were embarking on a journey that year to reacquaint ourselves with his love and make his presence the most relevant aspect of our lives. We had to reacquaint ourselves with powerful truths that we would so easily forget. Or I guess I would, anyway. The daily walk with him, uh, because 
I guess we, I suffer from short-term memory loss. It's just so easy to do that. Here are some of the truths that I learned. God's love transforms my identity. I am loved. I am welcomed. He defines me. I am his, and he is mine. I don't know how you define yourself or how you want others to define you. Maybe it's mom, dad, accountant, farmer, hardworking, generous, kind. For me, that definition becomes what brings joy and peace to my heart, or what did. You have to work, work, work to keep that up. That definition can become a focus and become a god. And then you have to manipulate it or control it to keep it there. Or you feel defeated when you don't. The truth we know is that there is too much there is too much out of our control to help us to be completely successful at those definitions. And so we often feel overwhelmed, defeated, or anxious. The other truth that I learned or re, was reacquainted with is I'm in union with him right now. In Colossians 1, 1 to 4, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We walk in this new life from the spirit that lives within, not by a coach sending out a player. I needed to remind myself daily that he had chosen me, renamed me, and remade me. God, who is rich in mercy, has loved us with a great love and showers us with his grace. That is my identity, and that describes my union with him, as read in John 15. He gave sacrificially, and he transforms powerfully. We are holy and blameless before him. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We don't have to fight to gain his acceptance. He loves us just the way we are. Um, after that year of, of study with these ladies, I found myself at a cabin, but the view was a little different. I was alone. There wasn't any children with me. And I had two things on my mind. I had been reading in Titus where it said uh, the older women should be teaching the younger women, and I knew which one I was. Pastor Marv's words were, um, had been resonating in my mind. He had said, uh, look where God is at work and join him. So I was just praying about that and thinking about it. That spring, uh, we had been to an orphanage in Mexico. It was like a, a teen group with their parents, and... Uh, I could see a lot of teen girls there being so ready to be open to what God was asking them to do. I can tell you, they were quick to serve, they were quick to listen, they were quick to follow, they were quick to help. There was God at work, teachable kiddos. So I came home and I found out that the same thoughts about a teen group was also in Lori's mind. One of the most, one of the main reasons, of course, I wanted to get on board. Sheila and I talk fairly frequently, that, and so our thoughts kind of came together. And uh, yeah, I had always really listened to what Pastor Marvin said about when you see God at work somewhere and there's a need, you you get on board, <laughs> and that's that's what we did. 
But one of the main reasons was my, my daughter, Alana. Um, she was desperate to grow, um, having a really hard time knowing where to fit. And, uh, and she had such a hunger to grow in the Word of God. So I would do Bible study at home on my own with her, and, and I thought, she needs fellowship. And, of course, her, some of her best friends, and they were wanting to grow. And I thought, okay, God's at work. Let's, let's get on this. So, so that was one of the main reasons that we, we thought, no, we need to start a Bible study in this church. We have no youth pastor, and we are not youth pastors, <laughs> but we are willing parents. Uh, parents and, and Sheila has pretty much become like a mom to everybody. So um, anyway, I'd like to share a little bit about what our time looks like with our youth girls. We meet every Wednesday. You're still welcome if you're not in. <laughs> Come on, you just let, let us know if you're interested. Um, the first year we went through the Bible, a Bible study called Alpha for Youth. Alpha is an engaging video series on Right Now Media that teaches different topics about the Christian faith. Monthly, we try to have a fun, creative night led by Sandy Templeton. Sandy would open her home lovingly to these girls, teaching them fun, creative ways to worship God through her creative crafts and art, which this was a highlight for everybody um, all the time. Other gifted parents like Susanna Sturham and Nikki Haveron volunteered their time doing fun paint, paint nights with the girls and craft nights. And definitely um, each parent that come that has a daughter coming has done their part. Um, Lindsay does lots of administration. Paint, uh, Kim painted our youth room. Um, so we don't want to stop with just the few that did the, the few things. So anyway, there's been a lot of help from parents. But with the support from many of you, we were able to take the girls to YC, a huge youth conference in Red Deer. What an amazing weekend, seeing thousands of youth worshiping God. The second year... We spent our entire year in a Bible study on the fruits of the Spirit. It took, it took a long time, but we had a lot to learn. <laughs> this study was a constant reminder through God's word that it's impossible, like impossible to bear fruit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You might all have memorized it, but it's impossible to bear without doing it through the Holy, the Holy Spirit, doing it through us. The conversations often went to this tree. This tree sits in our youth room. I'm sure they get sick of hearing about it, but we always go back to the tree. Um, and how, like, just how it was impossible to bear fruit of the Spirit without the Holy Spirit doing it through us. Yeah, sorry, I repeated myself. The conversations always went back to the tree. We have all been there. We try religiously, dutifully. We try to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We think, I've even done this sometimes, just like, I'll try to be more loving. Impossible. The fruit of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's only, only when we stay connected to the Lord, we open our hearts to his presence and power that his Holy Spirit can even show up. When we give up trying and we let the gardener prune out of our lives the things and the attitudes that don't honor him, it is then that fruit will become evident in our life. Yes, the fruit of, of the Spirit, that study was uh, just as important for the students as the teachers. I'm just going to read in Galatians 5, verse 27. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
So we read chapters on having a happy heart, a quiet heart. We read that patience is a time to do nothing. Kindness is a time to do something. Goodness is a time to do everything. Do you ever find yourself getting into wrong habits or addictions? This is where the study, uh, I again thought, wow, that is a lot. How can I do that? And I know you'll probably shake your head uh, because I was kind of slipping back into that old way of, of thinking to strive to do it. And, and I was surprised when I reread this verse, it didn't say, but the fruit of Sheila. It didn't say that. It said the fruit of the Spirit was. I had forgotten again my identity. I had forgotten my union in him. Here I found myself again trying to understand these fruits, how easy I forgot, how short-term memory loss that is striving and coping would kick in and rear its ugly head. You have seen the pictures of what abiding is not. It is not a coach. It is not religion, prideful striving, or discouraged failure. It is a vine. It is like the vine, and it is found in the word abiding. This year, we started a series called Doctrine. We again are going deeper, which again goes deeper into the Christian beliefs. The girls always enjoy a time that we set aside near the end for games and relationship building. Our prayer for each girl is to go deeper daily in their relationship with Jesus, that they understand how valued, how loved they are by their Heavenly Father and by us. Praying they understand their significance doesn't come in what they do, who they date, what, who their friends are, but resting daily knowing who's leading and who is Lord of their lives. Reminding them he is sovereign, he's in control, and he will never, ever leave them. He walks every step of the way with them. Daily being surrendered to his leading, remembering he is God, we are not. He created the world, we can't. He gives us daily breath, so surrender. Rest and let him lead your life. In my experience with people is when we can relate in certain ways and share certain experiences and trials that we've gone through, not projecting that we've got it all together, that that is when we can grow together. I will share one last personal story in my life and a picture, a picture the Lord put on my heart that I did share a while back, but um, he gave me a picture personally to my heart that has changed my life forever. The Lord gave me a picture. Okay, there it is. The Lord gave me a picture of what a surrendered life looks like. And just a few months ago, I had my nephew Kyle's um, fiance Tiana, who's a graphic artist, finally put it on a canvas for me because I wanted to daily remember. I always talk about this boat, but nobody can see it. So she, she captured it, it very well. It's a daily reminder to me of something the Lord taught me over eight years ago now. I struggled desperately, desperately with anxiety and needing to be in control. And I'm sure many of you sitting here today might feel the same way. I, want to go, I won't go into all the details, but the Lord showed me a picture 
of a boat with him paddling, smiling, completely in control. He asked me, where are you in this boat? At that moment, eight years ago, I was running around the boat, focused on the waves, the circumstances of life, trying to control everything there could be to control, and trying to grab the paddles from him. Yeah, I'm sure we've all done it. The Lord graciously said to me, my child, stop striving and stop trying to control. Just go to the front of the boat and rest and let me be God. Let me control and let me lead your life. All I wanted for you and for each one of you is just be my child. All the striving, all the trying, all the striving, all the anxiety at that moment disappeared. It was just like, whew, like freed. <laughs> it, was, it was a supernatural work of the, of the Spirit that day. Because at that moment, my heart, not my head, finally understood the sovereignty of God. This picture now hangs on my wall where I have my quiet and my family's quiet time every day. And it is a constant reminder that he's in control. And I definitely have always asked my family to keep me accountable. And when I get anxious, because I do still, they say, Mom, where are you in the boat? <laughs> so daily, daily the Lord, this has become a normal question in my quiet time with me, he says, where are you in the boat today, my child? Very often I've tried to take back control, and I'm feeling anxious coming in today on the roads, believe me. Brant was reminding me about the boat, because <laughs> I get very anxious on icy roads. <laughs> but fear comes knocking at my door. But then I look at that picture again, and I remember who's in control, and peace absolutely floods my heart again. This has been truly a precious gift to me. And I pray that it may encourage even one person here today that struggles with anxiety or even through COVID is super nervous and, and scared that today they can just look to the Jesus at the back of the boat, that he's paddling, he's in control, and all their anxiety, all your anxiety could just go. So that is how we began the girls' teen group and some of the things we've been learning in these last few years. One of the things we'd ask the girls to do is to read Romans 12 every day. Uh, that was just when we started here in the fall. and um, Because it helps us to remind and reminds us about abiding and about trusting and about who God is and who we are. And so this morning, we wanted to ask you also... Uh, where is your role in the body? Where do you see God at work? Where do you see your giftings? If you don't know, maybe it's time to ask us, ask the people around you, not just Lori and I, I mean, because we know we can see it in each other very clearly. Um, and uh, we can also see each other's weaknesses for sure, but we're okay with that because we don't let those define us. We let God tell us who we are. So I'm going to read Romans 12, 
uh, and then you'll see some of the girls' testimonies of what youth means to them. It's going to again be in a paraphrase, but I would encourage you to read John 15 and Romans 12 in all sorts of versions uh, in, on your phone. It's easy that way, or in Bibles that you have at home. Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always bragging you, bring, dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't overtake or take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, Keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't get yourself get irri- don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. P- practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies and don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. 
Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person a lunch, or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. So today, in um, closing, we want to encourage each of you today that if any of you have caught up, been caught up in striving and trying to be a good Christian and you feel tired and you're feeling fruitless, that something may have spoke to your heart today. Religion is so hard, so dutiful. Relationship with Jesus is resting and abiding. Letting him have complete control, leading, and the fruit of the Spirit will show up. So our heart for the girls is that they get this early in life so that they, they can live their Christian lives with power and with peace. It is such a joy working together with Sheila as friends and as sisters in the Lord. Let's close in prayer, and then we are going to have three short videos of um, three of the girls that were willing to do a video um, just on their experience with the youth, and then closing with a song. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you so much that you are present right here in this place. And for everybody who shoveled their driveways and, and were able and sidewalks to get out and get here today, but also for those that are listening at home, we just pray that they feel and sense and know your presence with them, that, that you love them right now where they're at, that there's nothing they need to do, no striving they need to do. They just need to let your Holy Spirit do it through them. Father, let them find, let each one of us in this church get into Romans 12 and look at where we can be a part. Father, I just pray so much that your spirit would be the one doing it in and through us. Lord, we just love you, and we just pray that you are glorified. And in this week ahead, God, we just pray that um, we would not forget you in the midst of us doing life. So, Lord, we thank you, and we just ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Hi, my name is Alana Walgren. I choose to make Wednesday night Bible study a priority because it is a refreshment in the middle of the week to be around girls who desire to grow in their faith of Jesus as we encourage and spur each other on in our journey with the Lord. We are able to have a safe place for us to voice our concerns in life and have amazing leaders, Sheila Propp and Lori Walgren, who are both able to give us wise, insightful advice based on the circumstance. One thing that has challenged me with my relationship with God in coming to youth is to really focus on learning and hearing from the Word of God, not just simply reading it and not taking any of the wisdom from the Bible. Predominantly, I have learned with my relationship with God is to abide and not strive because when we strive we become severed from the vine and Jesus makes it clear we are absolutely hopeless and lost without him. Therefore it is so vital for us to come to a place of rest constantly giving God back the control and abiding in him only. I am so extremely grateful for this group of amazing godly women and I always look forward to Bible study every week. Okay, why do you make Wednesday evenings a priority through the year and what do you enjoy about it? I make Wednesday evenings a priority through the year so because I think it's important 
to spend time with other Christians to learn about God so that you can really grow in your relationship with Him? What is one thing that has challenged you in your relationship with God in coming to youth? One thing that has probably been a challenge with making it to youth every week is just balancing my sports life and my friend's life with like that kind of activities with making time for youth. I make Wednesday evenings a priority because I love to be able to grow my faith in a fun and safe environment. I enjoy coming to Bible study because it's fun and it's a great way to interact with other Christian friends who help me grow my faith and encourage me. One thing that has challenged me in my relationship with God in coming to youth would be that I need to remember to trust God and let Him stay in control, which is something that I struggle with. And having that group of girls who I know have my back and the leaders that I trust helps me to remember that God's got me and I'm not on my own. And this helps to challenge me to stay in the Word and continue to grow in my relationship with Christ. Yeah. 